0: Dr. Joe Mott earned his PhD at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott.
1: In today's episode, I want to begin to answer the question Is belief in God reasonable? I'll begin by setting the stage of our culture that says no to that question. There is a rising tide of skepticism and atheism, particularly on university and college campuses. Surveys show that approximately 50% of young people who finish high school and attend a university soon abandon the faith from which they have been committed. The cause for this defection, the young people assert that in the church they were never given answers to their questions and never taught the reasons that undergird their faith. In college they are informed that religious belief is something you believe in without evidence, while, on the contrary, it is claimed that atheism is entirely based on reason and science. In the minds of some of their professors, science becomes the only source of truth, and like a ruthless third-world dictator, these professors assert that religion must be marginalized, if not totally eliminated. No deviations from the atheistic Darwinian dogma is tolerated. If you want to lose credibility on campus, suggest that there might be something beyond the natural world that is responsible for the existence of the universe and our life on the Earth. The truth is, you don't have to have an explanation for every explanation. Such a demand sets up an infinite regress where nothing would be knowable and science, reason, and philosophy all would eventually break down. If you were walking along the nearby terrain and found a turtle on top of a fence post, you could rationally infer that it didn't get there by itself. Someone put it there. Even if you didn't have an explanation for who did it, you would be reasonable in assuming that an atheist claimed that time, chance, physical necessity, or natural selection wouldn't be able to place a turtle on top of a fence post. The skeptics taught is that those who have faith in God have no real proof for that faith. One of the standard lines from the New Atheists goes like this, quotes, when I'm asked to prove that God doesn't exist, I ask believers to prove that there are no fire-breathing dragons living in the center of the earth, or tooth fairies, or Richard Dawkins' favorite analogy, the flying spaghetti monster, end quotes. Skeptics sit back as if this taunt alone justifies their disbelief. But they are mistaken. Note, they have not given any evidence in support of their disbelief. They have merely attempted to reverse the burden of proof onto you. In truth, there are no good reasons to believe in a flying spaghetti monster, the truth fairy, or fire-breathing dragons in the center of the earth. But... There are good reasons to believe in God. For the atheists who say that nothing exists outside the physical world must realize is that statement is a presupposition on the part of the atheist which amounts to a statement of faith without any supporting evidence. There is no way that anyone can prove it is true. Atheism and other skeptical worldviews are just ideas, and as history has proven, ideas have consequences. For instance, the naturalistic worldview stemming from Darwinian evolution has had disastrous repercussions when applied philosophically and ethically. Consider these two examples of disastrous consequences. First, eugenics was practiced around the time of World War II. This was an immoral social movement that advocated the supposed improvement of the human population via selective breeding and other means. Francis Galton, a cousin of Charles Darwin, based his idea of eugenics on Darwin's theory of evolution. Second, in the 20th century, untold millions died at the hands of atheistic communists and Nazi regimes who swallowed Darwin's theory of evolution, hook, line, and sinker. My discussion today describes some of the lines of reason that can be used to explain why believing in God is, in fact, intellectually defensible. Theology is the study, logos, of God, theos. It concerns itself with the knowledge of God. There are, however, two different kinds of theology, revealed and natural. One of the distinctive features of the Judeo-Christian tradition is its belief in God's self-disclosure. God has intervened in human history and spoken to humanity. He has unveiled himself first in a general revelation, that is in physical nature, in human nature, and in history. Secondly, God has revealed himself in special revelation in scripture and, in the case of Christianity, in the incarnation of the person of Jesus Christ. Natural theology consists primarily of rational arguments for the existence of a single, infinite, monotheistic, personal God that do not appeal to sacred scriptures for their cogency. These arguments claim that there are sufficient reasons to believe monotheism is true. When looking at the nature of the world around us, we have to realize that these arguments do not specifically point to Christianity, but to the worldview underlying Christianity, namely theism. To understand the differences between theism and the other major worldviews, you may have to consult resources beyond what I have mentioned in this program. I have addressed pantheism, atheism, agnosticism, polytheism, deism, and theism. I recommend the book, The Universe Next Door, fourth edition, by James Sire, or Worlds Apart by Norman Gosler and William Watkins. If I have established that theism is the best view over those of the other major worldviews, then we can then look at options within theism, like Islam, Judaism, or Christianity, to see whether one of them stands out as particularly convincing. I believe the answer is that you can prove there is a God. In the same way you or I, a detective, a scientist, an archeologist, or a philosopher, can use the data we all have to prove anything by seeing whether the data we have passes four basic rational tests. First, does the data we have fit the facts? and is not based on my own personal feelings. Does the data fit the evidence better than any alternative theory? Second, is the data logically consistent? Is it rational? Is it coherent? Third, is the data empirically adequate? In other words, is it testable? Does the physical evidence support the conclusion? These three tests would help the detective and the individual in making everyday decisions. But the following would primarily help the individual philosopher. Fourth, is the argument and the conclusion existentially relevant? In other words, is it livable? Proof one, the evidence of the beginning of the universe based on the Big Bang, the Kalam argument, and the first cause, see my proof in Episodes 54 and 55 of Defending and Commending the Faith, that the first cause is identical to the God of the Bible. A Big Bang requires a Big Banger. When we combine the argument from the beginning of the universe with other arguments, The results are more convincing. So allow me to refer to other arguments for God. Proof two, the evidence of the moral argument. If someone were to chop a child to bits with a sword or sexually abuse a baby girl, would he have done anything wrong? I think all of you would agree that it is wrong. Okay, Doesn't that agreement imply that a universal moral law exists? And doesn't a universal moral law indicate it has a universal moral basis? If the universe is nothing more than chemicals bumping into one another, as the naturalist believes, such collisions cannot teach that child abuse is wrong or that human life matters. All cultures have basic standards of morality, moral laws. Again, what is the origin of these moral laws? Naturalism has no satisfying explanation as to how love or compassion could have evolved from matter. I have discussed the moral argument elsewhere. And I've given an argument that God is the source for the moral laws. Proof three, the evidence of life's origin. What does naturalism say about the creation of life? The answer to this question is another proof of God. All scientific evidence points to the fact that life comes from life and non-life, like that from a rock, a tree, or sand cannot produce life. The naturalist claim is that the first one-cell organism was spontaneously generated, despite Fred Hoyle's probability number against that possibility, to the contrary. Scientists have no explanation as to how this could have happened. Even the simplest known type of cell is so incredibly complex that to believe that the first cell just happened is an article of immense faith. So if we accept that life only comes from life, what life was the first cause of life on the Earth? Some have suggested it came from life on another planet. But that only removes the question back one step. For then, how did that life arise there? How can life on Earth be anything other than from God? Darwinism proposed an alternative to God. The theory of evolution. According to the theory of evolution, life began from a simple cell. Over millions of years, cells gradually increased in complexity until life evolved. To me, that still says life came from non-life, and I don't believe that. The theory of evolution does not explain a number of issues. What about the irreducible complexity of organs like the eye? If only some of the many complex components of the eye evolved, but not all, there would be no vision. And then all of the various arrangements of these components, still there would be no vision. Consequently, how could there be any evolutionary advantage for the process to continue? Another issue is the unlikely viability of transitional forms. How could a transitional form between a reptile and a bird survive? if it lost its scales but had not yet evolved feathers. Allow me to close this episode with these comments. In the 19th century, Nietzsche declared God is dead. It was sanctioned by some during the middle of the 20th century. The collapse of mass religious belief, especially among the educated and prosperous, was widely and confidently... Predicted, But the most extraordinary thing about the end of the 20th century was that the death of God did not take place. God survived,
0: even flourished. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott